funny things that we, we spend, me and Don, I spend a lot of time kind of gearing up and getting ready for Sunday. We pick out backgrounds, we type in words, we think about these things and those things, and we make sure this is ready and that's ready. And then, you know, at one little moment, we're quickly reminded of, of really that none of that, at the end of the day, matters. It doesn't change our worship experience uh, all that much. What really matters is that, that we believe that God is present and we believe that if we give God our heart, He will, will move. And so this morning, even though you know, we didn't have the words, it's a great reminder that what we need to worship Jesus is Jesus. And we were reminded of that pretty strongly about a year ago when our trailer was stolen and we lost all of our little worldly treasures. And we just gathered in this place and we just sang. You know, and, and it, it kind of turns into a little bit about what I want to talk about this morning because... A few, I guess it would have been maybe about half a year ago, in one of these messages that I was preaching, I kind of mentioned a, something about my, my secret heartbeat for this church. And it was just a, a, a kind of a statement in passing that I promised I would return to. But it was a, it was a comment about what my secret heartbeat for our church was. And, and then it really revolved around three things. And it went something like this, that my, my deep sort of secret heart for this church is that we would be authentic, that we would love much, and that we would love well. Now we have uh, core values as a community. We have an approach. I mean we are worship driven and we're community minded. We're missionally focused and we love God and we love people and we follow Jesus. We have a core theology. We have all of those things. But if you were to pin me down and sit me down one-on-one and you would say, Trev, what is your, your heartbeat for the vine? What is your heartbeat for this church? I would, say, I would say my heart, my deep passion is that we would be a church community that was authentic and that loved much and loved well. Now it may sound really simplistic, but I promise you that if we were to truly, and I mean truly live into those three things, it would be more challenging and more difficult than, than anything else you can imagine because it's going to challenge us to come face to face with the Holy Spirit, examine our hearts, examine the way that we see each other, and examine the way that we see the world. And it turns all those things upside down if we truly decide that we're going to live in an authentic way, if we are going to love each other in all capacities, and love the world in all capacities, love much, and if we would love really well, without the sort of selfish-driven kind of desires that we usually have for ourselves, but we love well. So I started really thinking about that, and, and this morning I want to kind of give introduction to what we're going to be doing in the next few few weeks, because I'm going to ask you over the next few weeks to kind of journey with me as we step into a new series starting next Sunday that's going to really be a journey and an exploration through the book of James. And it's a series that I'm simply entitling Life Authentic, because I think when we begin to study scripture, and we really, when we begin to look at the book of James in particular, we look at it verse by verse, what it's going to challenge us to do is come face to face with a God that made us, to examine God's call on who we are called to be. And challenge us to step out of mediocrity and into life authentic. So we're going to be examining the first piece of my sort of secret heart for this church, that we would be authentic as we explore verse by verse the book of James in this series called Life Authentic. And by way of segueing for this morning into our series next week, I want to explore a question that somebody asked me a few weeks ago, right before Christmas. Um, a little bit about who we are, because I think if we keep it as the backdrop for kind of where we're going in the upcoming weeks, it will really help kind of define um, our heart. But a, a couple of weeks before Christmas, someone came down here after church and they said, Trevor, I've got a really, really silly question, and, uh, but I, it's just bugging the tar out of me and I just need to know the answer to this question. And I said, hey, there's no silly questions, there's only silly people, right? That's kind of what, you know, they, you know my teacher always said, there's no such thing as stupid questions, there's only stupid people, right? And so... Um, 
But she, you know, this person, this, this lady said, I just got a question that's bugging me like crazy. Why do we call ourselves divine? And I thought, you know what, that's not a crazy question. That's actually a really, really great question. And I want to explore that this morning because our name is actually really important and it defines a lot about who we are. And as we learned about a year and a half ago when we were in Guatemala, it actually makes a big difference. When we were in Guatemala a year and a half ago, we did these outreaches with local churches. We would participate in the local church. We'd go door to door in the community. We'd invite people to come back to a rally that night or uh, some kind of crusade, much the sim- similar stuff that we did in, in, in Africa as well. And people would come back and we'd share the gospel and, and all these things. Well, we were working with this one particular church and we had spent the day going door to door in their community, inviting people to, to come um, to this kind of rally crusade event we were having that night. And it was a great night. We had, People were there, and we were preaching, and we were singing, we were doing all these things. We'll get to the end, and the pastor is thanking us. And, and, and you know, I do, sp- and, and Cruz and Maria can tell you, I speak some Spanish. I speak enough Spanish to get me thrown right into jail, all right? And so, but I, I you know, and so my, my thing is that I know enough words. I know the words for nails, and the word for car keys, and the word for library. I mean, I know some things. And so I can navigate my way around enough. But I, 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 people in, 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 the, in Spanish-speaking countries, and I've been to a lot of them, always have a really hard time with my name, Treb. It doesn't translate real well. So I always tell people, just call me Roberto, right? What's your name? Roberto. Well, this one, well, taking a side note from this Guatemala experience, just hang on to that one. We'll put it up here. I was in Chihuahua, Mexico about six years ago, and uh, I met this pastor, and he says, what's your name? I, say, I said, oh, my, my name is, is Roberto, and he goes, oh, Pastor Roberto. I said, yeah, yeah, Pastor Robert, you know, because nobody, Trev, it's close enough. There's the same letters in there, sort of mix them around, and, uh, and he, said, he said, oh, that's a, that's a good name. I said, oh, you know, and, and about two hours later, he came back, and he says, Pastor, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. He goes, I'm working on my English, and I said, oh, that's great. He said, can I call you Bob? And I thought... Well, yeah, but I'd rather you not, right? Because, but he's so all week long, he was like, Pastor Bob, come here. And everybody around me would be like, hey, dude, that's you. You're Pastor Bob. And so I was like, oh, okay, okay. So, but, so we're in Guatemala, and, and the pastor looks out, and he says, Roberto, which is, of course, me. And he goes, Roberto, what, what church do you come from? And me using my amazing Spanish, I said, oh, our, our church is called Elvino, right? Because that's what you do in Spanish. If you don't know Spanish, you just add an O to whatever you think it is. And, and so I said, Elvino, and the whole place goes totally silent. And I hear this lady about three rows back go, <gasps> like gasp, right? And I thought, and then our, our guy that we're there with, Brandon Scott, our missionary friend, goes, no, no, not Elvino, not Elvino, uh, Elvid, Elvid. And I was like, oh, yeah, Elvid, whatever that means, you know, because and when you're in Mexico, Spanish is different than when you're in some Latin American countries, and they all have different meanings, and, and, and everybody just erupted in laughter. They just started laughing so hard, and the pastor calls up, he's slapping me on the back, and I'm thinking, what just happened? And, and Brandon goes, listen, here's kind of what happened is, is the pastor asked you what church you came from, and you said the wine, which really in, in Guatemalan kind of Spanish means any alcoholic beverage that intoxicates, right? He said, so you just told them you were from the church where you celebrate any alcoholic beverage that intoxicates. Now, some of you out there going, amen. You know, it's a church I go, amen. But, but he goes, Elvid is like the vineyard of the vine here. And, and I thought, well, it makes a huge difference, right? And so I was reminded of that as I was thinking about this, this morning about how, how awkward and how funny that is when, uh, you know, we, but our names make a, make a difference. And so this person said, what is your, what is the vine? Why do we call ourselves that? I know there's biblical references there, but I mean, really why? And 
I thought this morning as we kind of segue into this study in the book of James, we really begin to kind of dive in an expository way into this, this amazing text, it would be a great place for us to just start and say, you know, what we call ourselves and why we're named what we're named is actually really important because it says a lot about who Jesus is and who we aspire to be. So this morning we're going to be uh, in the book of John chapter 15. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and, and, and flip there. Um, we actually got some new Bibles. Tom Portman, our awesome Tom, went out and got us new Bibles. So I'm very excited about that. Thank you, Tom. They're hard to, hard to come by. Uh, if, if any of you have noticed, maybe you haven't, the NIV in 2011 decided to write a new version. And so it's now the NIV 2011. And you can't get the NIV 84 anymore. And it's it's just enough subtle changes to really mess me up, all right, because I've used this for all of my life. And, and so we didn't want to have Bibles out here that I wasn't reading from, so Tom tracked down some 1984 Bibles, right? So it was real, we're really pleased with Tom right now. So Tom, way to go, man, way to go. Good work. I oh, know, way to go. Tom, uh, he said he, he had them from back when he was in college, right? He just had the stacks of them, so... John chapter 15, if you got your Bible, go ahead and open up. Um, we're going to be going to be looking at just a few verses, kind of examining, if you will, uh, where we landed on uh, this idea of the vine and really what that means and what that means for us. So before we open this up together, let's take a moment, let's just pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are God. Lord, we thank you that you love us and that you care for us and that you call us into relationship with you. Lord, we thank you that even though sometimes technology fails us, you never do. Sometimes the world around us fails us. Sometimes people fail us. Um, God, you never do. You are um, steadfast, Father, and you are never failing. And God, we're so grateful, God, that you love us the way you do. Lord, we pray that you would make your word come alive in us, Father. We know that that you have um, the word of life and that you hold it out and that, Father, um, you have the answer for our struggles and our anxieties and our hurts. And so, Father, speak to our hearts this morning. Take just a moment in your own heart and just ask God to speak to you. And maybe in a subtle or gentle way, just ask God to do something in you um, that, that you just, a way you can experience Him in a new way this morning. Pray for someone beside you. Maybe you've never even seen that person before. Just pray that God would, um, he would just move in them. Let's pray for him. God, we ask that you would um, penetrate our hearts with your truth. We know that an encounter with you, your word is an encounter with you. And God, we ask that you would move in us this morning and just teach us something powerful and true about who you are. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' holy and perfect name. Amen. So we're going to read a few verses, and then I'll give you a little bit of background, and then we'll just kind of walk through them a little bit. Um, a, a lot of you are going to be familiar with these, these texts. I mean, this is the idea of the vine is a very biblical kind of... Uh, concept. It's got Old Testament roots. It has New Testament roots. In fact, as we're going to look at today, Jesus even refers to himself as the vine or as the true vine. And we're going to pick up right in the middle of kind of a, a long discourse that Jesus is having with the uh, disciples. And I'll catch you up to speed on, on kind of why that is where it is in just a moment. But let's look at it together. John 15, chapter 5. We'll go down through verse 8 uh, for right now. 
Jesus says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you will bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." One of the first things we have to understand about, well, really about Scripture as a whole, is that Scripture was written in a specific context, and, and this kind of chapter is no different. John was written to a context. It was written to a, an audience, and, and these imageries, things like vines and branches, were things that were very prevalent. You know, we live in a very urban society where, if anything, most, some of us may have a small garden, or we may grow plants, or we may kill plants, or whatever, but we don't really have a deep understanding of an agrarian kind of culture, and, and the, the kind of 2,000 years ago, the disciples would have been incredibly familiar with vineyards and branches and with kind of this uh, agricultural kind of community feel. People grew food and it was everywhere and most people grew their own food. And so when Jesus is using references like vines and branches, he's referring to things that you would see every single day. And these disciples walking around with Jesus for years, their lives would have seen uh, branches and vines and they would have seen vineyards and they would have been around olive groves and fruit bearing trees and it would have been part of their daily routine. And so while something like this seems a little bit foreign to us, we have to remember that this imagery and its context is, is very powerful and it's very relevant, okay? So it's something you would be reminded of all the time, that when Jesus says, I am the vine, every day when the disciples were out and about, they would come in contact with two, three, four kind of plants that were either branches or vines or fruit-bearing trees, and they would be reminded all the time of, of Jesus' words. So, We've got to keep that in the back of our minds, but it's a really interesting place in the book of John because this chapter, chapter 15, is coming in the time where Jesus has has had the last supper with his disciples and he's about to be betrayed. It is a day, literally the night before he is to be crucified. And Jesus has just shared some very specific, difficult words with the disciples. He's basically told them that I am getting ready to be with you no longer. And I'm getting ready to be handed over and ultimately killed. And he's sharing these truths in a very plain manner. But he's preparing the disciples for his ultimate departure. He's saying, I'm about to leave you. Now you got to understand from the disciples' standpoint, this is incredibly difficult to hear. They have walked away from their entire lives to follow this Jesus. He had called all of them to follow him. They had laid down their nets, their tax collector booths, their jobs. They had left everything, families and friends. And for three years, they had walked the Judean countryside with this Jesus. They had watched him perform miracles and do all kinds of amazing things. In fact, for most of them, they had participated in those. They had watched him feed 5,000, cast out demons, give that, that girl that was blind her sight, give that man who was struggling his freedom. They had watched Jesus do all of these things. And they had walked with him, and they had been a part of this thing. And now this Jesus is now telling him that he will no longer be with them. And you can understand that the disciples were visibly distraught. 
And most of all, they didn't really know what that meant. They didn't understand that Jesus was going to, to die and be sacrificed for the sins of humankind. They didn't recognize that he was going to come back and, and be raised from the dead and that ultimately they would build. And they didn't know all these, these things that we have the, the blessing of having this scripture to look at the whole story. They're hanging on Jesus' words as he's saying, I will no longer be here. You are going to have to carry forth what we've done. And so Jesus' words in John chapter 15 are actually words of comfort. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying, listen, even though I will no longer be with you physically, even though I will no longer walk with you, hold your hand, even though you will no longer be able to put your hand on me, I will remain in you and you can remain in me. See, Jesus' words are words of, of comfort. And I always start with this when I explain the vine or the concept of the, the name to people because it's really what's personal to me. Because I have anxieties and I have struggles and I have hurts and I have fears and I have moments in my life where I say, Jesus, where are you? I can't do this anymore. I can't walk this anymore. I can't do these things. But Jesus' immediate words to the disciples are words of comfort. He's saying, listen, even though you can't reach out and hold my hand, I am in you and you are in me. And I find that to be incredibly comforting in my own life because there are those moments where I just need to say, Jesus, I know that even though I can't reach out and touch you and, and grab you and hold on to your arm, I know that your promise is that you are in me and that if I remain in you, I'll bear fruit because you are giving me life. See, the first kind of concept with this idea of Jesus as the vine is one of hope. And I don't, I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe there's, there's that part of your life that's just going, man, I have some more questions than I do answers. And I need words of comfort for my ailing heart. Jesus declaring that he is the vine is actually a, a word of comfort. And it's coming in the middle of a, of a, a moment of chaos for the disciples. And the next three days are going to be a whirlwind of fear for them. But Jesus says these words as a word of comfort. Now, if we look a little deeper, we'll understand that there's a lot of things packed into this idea of Jesus calling himself the vine. John 15, 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. You know, there's a lot of things that we could kind of look at and unpack with this idea, but I, I picked three because I think they're, they're really easy to see and they're good things for us to hold on to. But the first is the idea of a vine. The vine gives life, Right? I mean, what happens to a branch that's not attached to the tree? It just dies. If you were to go into your yard and, and look at that, that tree and you were to cut a branch off, it would die if it's not attached to the trunk of that tree. In the same way, a branch is attached to a vine, if not attached to that vine, will ultimately die. Why? Because the vine is the source of life. It draws nutrients from the roots. It draws water. It draws food. It gives life to the, to the branch. It allows the branch to exist. Jesus, literally Jesus, the vine, allows you and I to exist. Jesus gives us not only eternal life, but real, authentic, abundant life. Now, I know that you've probably had moments in your life where you felt like you were anything but alive. I certainly have. Where I've drawn breath and found myself in life going through motions. Waking in the morning, doing activities, working, running the kids here, doing laundry, whatever it is, going to bed and wondering if this is really what life was about. This mundane routine of sort of lifeless joy. Or joyless life. And I think 
you and I were created for so much more. We are created for life. That there's more to this world than just drawing breath. There's more to this world than waking up and punching a clock and showing up at home and, and watching a little TV and, and going to bed or running errands or doing things or, or feeling like your heart is anything but restful, anything but peaceful. Jesus says, I am the vine and I am where all life comes from. See, as a believers and as a church, we have to recognize that all life comes from Jesus. We will never be able to artificially create it. True life, abundant life, real life comes from Christ. If we are not attached to Jesus, if your life is not attached to Jesus, you are dead. The Bible's very clear about that. You are dead. The question for you and for me really this morning is, is are we attached to the life-giving source? And if you're not, are you, are you surprised that you find your life in a joyless state? Are you surprised that you find your life stressful and overrun with anxiety? If you're feeling those things, I can promise you are anything but attached to the source of life. So we look at this picture of the vine and we say, Jesus is the vine, is the giver of all life. The vine also connects the branches, right? What's the common thread that branches have? Well, they're connected to the same life-giving source. Branches look different. Go out into your, your garden or go out to your yard and you'll look at every branch and they all look different. But the thing that connects them all is that they're all connected to the same thing. If you look at a vine, all those branches are connected to that same life-giving source. And I find this really important because I think as a Christian subculture, we're so concerned with what other kind of communities or other Christians or other people, what they're not or what we dislike about them. So what we dislike about the Methodists or the Baptists or Presbyterians or the Life Churches or whatever. I mean, what we can dislike about everybody or what we don't like about their music or about this or about that. Instead of focusing on the thing that actually unites us all, which is we are all connected to the same source of life. Now, I've had the privilege over the past, oh, I don't know, 15 years to travel all over the world, 30-something countries, meeting with believers and, and, and being a part of, of what God is doing all over the world. And what I've discovered is that even though I have been a part of lives of believers in every different culture, the things that unite us, Jesus, are so much bigger and more important than the things that don't. Very seldom do I find myself in a conversation with a believer in another country about, you know, whatever church polity. It's always about Jesus. Always. I had a group of guys I met with in college, a covenant group that we met when I was in college, when I was in college for six years we met. Well, I wasn't in college for six years, right? Could have been. But we met for six years while I was kind of in that phase of college. And we met every Monday night. And this was a group of guys that some of you have actually met. If you've been with us in China, you've been with us to, to Guatemala, you've met some of my friends in other places that are, that are following Christ. And, but these, these group of, of, of guys were really diverse. I mean, you know, some of them were, were like super smart. Some of them were like, you know, athletes. Some of them were in ministry and some of them were anti-ministry and, and all these things. But somehow God brought us all together. And, and about in the year five of our meeting together, we, we looked around the room one day and we said, do you realize that the only reason we're friends? I mean, the only reason that we even know each other is because of Jesus. Now, out of those, those friends, now, we have one of the guys as is an, is an Anglican priest. Um, two of them are missionaries. One of them is a medical missionary. Um, one of them is a pastor of a little church in Mississippi now. Um, they're all spread out, and they've all got different connections. And we don't agree on half of anything. 
but we agree on the fact that Jesus is the source of life. I think as a church, what we want to be about is we want to be about connecting with like-minded individuals and churches all over the city and all over the world. We don't care where you come from. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what, you know, how you pronounce fancy church words. My question is, do you love Christ? Do you want to grow in him? We want you to be a part of what we're doing. We're not threatened by other churches. We want to celebrate what they're doing. We want to pray for them and be engaged in the same mission of sharing the kingdom of God with the world. Because the vine is what gives life. Jesus gives life and Jesus connects us all. When's the last time you spent time in your house praying for the churches in your neighborhood? I think as a subculture, we're so threatened and concerned with the churches around us about how big they are, what they're doing, and man, what connects us is that we need people that love Jesus enough to share Jesus with the people around them. The vine gives life, the vine connects, and the vine also allows us to bear fruit. Jesus says, you know, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. What's really important about this concept is it's, it's the vine that allows us to bear fruit. Now think about that imagery for a minute. What is the most visible and the best part of a branch, of a, tr- of a fruit-bearing plant or tree? Well, it's the fruit. Nobody wants an apple tree that doesn't grow apples. Nobody wants a, a, a vine, a grapevine that doesn't grow grapes. The most visible and best part of a plant, a fruit-bearing plant, is its actual fruit. And that fruit only happens when that vine, or that branch is connected to that life-giving source. It's that life-giving source that allows that fruit to happen. If you remove the two from each other, the branch and the vine, that fruit does not grow. Now, I think as, as a culture, we've become incredibly good at producing and creating fake fruit. In other words, we have put things in our own lives, in our lives as churches, that we want the world to see to think we are successful. We do it with money. We do it with stuff. We do it with bigger and better. We do it with masks and facades that we walk in these doors with even. Because we want people to look at the outside of our lives and say, man, they have got it together or or they're not falling apart. Or man, look at that church, it's successful. Look at the size of that building. We can produce fake fruit. We can fluff out the branches and spray the leaves green. And we can do it with the best of them. But there's nothing authentic about that. And that fruit will not last. See, we want to be a church, and I want to be a person, and I want my family to be a family that is so in love with the life-giving source, Jesus, that his fruit springs from our lives and that we are giving it away. That it's just falling off our branches and onto the ground and that it is impacting the world. See, we were created to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You were created to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no life apart from Christ. Listen to the language that John actually uses about branches that are not connected to the vine. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withered. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. See, you were created for, and we're going to look at this in the book of James in the next few weeks. You were created for a relationship with Jesus. If you are not living into what you're created to be, literally your life is worthless from a spiritual standpoint. You're just drawing breath. The question that we've got to come face to face with is, 
as individuals is this. Am I attached to the source of life? Am I connecting myself to other believers? Am I connecting myself to the body of Christ? And is my life bearing fruit? What does that look like? What is the fruit that other people see in me? Is it stuff that I've produced and images that I put out there so that people will think I'm not falling apart? I walk into church holding hands with my wife so people will think we're not fighting on the way here, right? Kiss my kids so you know I love them instead of strangling them. I mean, what do we do? That's not fruit. Fruit is authenticity, and fruit is what the Bible tells us is joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. They're things that the world sees and says, man, I want to be a part of that because the gospel of Jesus Christ is contagious in its authentic form. Jesus created us to have life. And sadly, we have created communities across this country and across the world that are lifeless, that are not connected to the source of life, that have created fake fruit, and that are punching tickets and going through motions, trying to show the world what community and truth look like. We never want to become that. We don't have aspirations for great things. We have aspirations for authenticity and love and Jesus. Because this table that we're going to participate in this morning is the perfect picture of what that looks like. There is nothing more real and more authentic than what Jesus did for you and what he did for me. There is no better picture of life than the God that gave his away. See, the name that we gave this community was very intentional. It's because it's what gives us life. It's what connects us together. It's what allows us to be fruitful. If we ever forego the relationship with Jesus, all we're good for is to be thrown in the fire and burned. If we ever come to a place where we're going through motions, I pray that God, and I pray this every day, that God would just collapse this church, fold it in itself, and send it away. But that we would always be connected to the source of life, the God that gave his away. This morning, as we get ready to take part in this this meal together, what I want you to ask yourself as you come up to take communion this morning is, is Jesus, is my life connected to you? I mean, my heart, am I drawing joy, my life, blood from you? Or am I existing, going through motions, punching ticket, drawing breath, but lifeless? This is the perfect pictures of God's extravagant love. This table is... Well, it's the perfect example of what life looks like. Actually, on that very same night that we looked at in our text this, mo- this morning, that John chapter 15, where this sort of comes out, that same night where Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he's, he's talking to them about the fact that he'll be with them no longer and, and they're distraught and they're concerned and they don't really know what all this means. And that very night that Jesus was going to be betrayed by one of his friends and that every disciple was going to run from him. On that very night where the creation that he breathed life into its very lungs was going to beat him and ultimately crucify him. On that very night, Jesus gathered his disciples and he shared this meal. And so as we prepare to do this this morning, we go before the Lord in prayer. Let us remember that this is where all life comes from and that only God could produce life from death. Let's pray together.